So, good evening. Uh, we don't normally try and have the worship leader do the talk. Um, it may be that Andy was trying to save some time, but it's not his fault. Um, I was due to do the talk last week, um, but then became otherwise engaged, as I'm sure you'll, some of you will know already. Um, I'll mention that a little bit later. Um, but, uh, you know, when you put a lot of work into doing something, and you can be the judge of whether it was worth it or not, um, but when you put a lot of work into doing something, I was really keen that if I had a chance, I wanted to do it. So that's why we have uh, twins doing the sermon and the uh, worship leading this evening. Before I start, uh, and just to say that we'll be going through the reading in bits, so I'll do it at different parts um, as we go on, but do have it open. I believe it's um, page 492 in the Church Bibles. Um, But before we start, shall we just pray and welcome God in to our hearts and minds this evening? Lord, we thank you for your mercy. You are a glorious and awesome and mighty and wonderful God. Sometimes we come to you confused. Sometimes we come to you in desperation. Sometimes we come to you with hurt in our hearts. Sometimes we come to you with joy and happiness. Lord, you know the states that we're in this evening. And we pray, Lord, that you would meet us in those states, that you would speak to us, that we would come and bow before you. And Lord, we pray that whatever I say, whatever is of you, will stick in people's hearts. Whatever else will go away, Lord. In your great and wonderful name we pray. Amen. So, two weeks ago now, I've had to change a little bit, it said one week ago, but now it says two weeks ago, when I started preparing this sermon, I really wasn't in a great place. Um, To be honest, I was feeling lower and more defeated than I had in quite a long time. There wasn't anything significant that had contributed to this, but it was just a sum of lots of small things. We had, we'd moved from one apartment to another, which, as you know, can be quite a stressful thing in Zurich, and then it had been doubly more stressful than that and what we had expected. Um, I recently started a new job, and I was feeling completely like it was a mistake. I felt incapable, and I was in the wrong place. That's what it felt like. And this feeling was made worse by the fact that we were expecting a child. And I was worrying more and more about whether or not I would properly be able to provide for my new family. This mounting stress caused me to have a virus that caused me to have quite great pain all the way up the side of my body, and it just wouldn't go away. And then on top of that, we had a scan of our expected child, and it showed there might be a problem, so they needed to urgently do tests to find out what the issue was. And none of these things on their own were things that I couldn't deal with. But you know in life, sometimes there's a straw that breaks the camel's back, And I don't know what it was, but there was a straw that broke this one, and I broke down. I lost control. I came to God, and I prayed, but I couldn't seem to find a way out of this panic state of mind that I was in. 
And then God reminded me that I had a sermon to prepare, and that it was on Daniel 9. So I read Daniel 9, and what? It's an amazing chapter. And in it we read how, because of the situation he finds himself in, Daniel cries out with his whole being and pleads to God for mercy. And I think, in the situation that I was in two weeks ago, I think Daniel, Daniel had far more right than me to be feeling the way that he was feeling. The passage, Daniel 9, happens during the reign of Darius, where, as we heard um, from Sam a few weeks ago, Daniel was thrown to the lions for continuing to worship God rather than worship Darius. As we know, God rescued Daniel and restored him to a place of great importance in the kingdom. However, at this time, and at this prayer that Daniel prays, he had been in exile for 65 years. He left his homeland when he was 15 years old. Imagine being in your 80s, having been torn away from where you feel you belong and longing to return for your whole life and yet never seeing it happen. So this is where we find Daniel. I'm just going to read the first two verses. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, he was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word the Lord given to Jeremiah, the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. Whilst Daniel had plenty to be thankful for, and clearly never missed an opportunity to praise God, I find it so encouraging, and we'll see in a minute, how he still goes to God with the things that cause him pain and trouble. What happened here is he'd been reading the prophecies of Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 25, 8-13, it mentions about the Lord saying, Because you have not listened to my words, I will summon all the peoples of the north, and my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, declares the Lord, and I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and all the surrounding nations. I will completely destroy them and make them an object of horror and scorn, an everlasting ruin. I will banish them from the sounds of joy and gladness, the voices of bride and bridegroom, the sounds of the millstone and the light of the lamp. The whole country will become a desolate wasteland. And these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. But when the 70 years are fulfilled, I will punish the king of Babylon and his nation, the land of the Babylonians, for their guilt, declares the Lord, and will make it desolate forever. I will bring on that land all the things I have spoken against it, and all of it are written in this book are prophesied by Jeremiah against all the nations. And then in Jeremiah 29, Daniel will have read this. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. And I think there's lots of things that Daniel realized reading this, but I wanted to pick out two. One is that the pain of exile was a result of the sins and disobedience of his own people. That, to me, is very clear. And two, whilst he had the hope of God's promise, he was an 80-year-old man who may not live to see the return to the promised land. I don't know about most of you in this room, but I've not yet been 80, um, and hope that we'll wait a little while. Um, but it's easy to see how being told to wait another five years for something that you have longed for for 65 years would be torture. 
And I think in these situations and throughout the entire of his exile, it could have been very easy for Daniel to hit out and blame others or blame himself or even God. Daniel could easily say, well, it's the fault of other people that he's in exile. It's the fault of his country. But he was fine. He was an upstanding person. Or he could say to God, why do I, an innocent man, have to suffer for the sins of other people? It could also be very tempting to be fatalistic in this situation. After all, God has promised to rescue them. So what's the point of putting in any effort in the meantime? Daniel doesn't do any of this. He understands that the relationship that God wants with us is not like that. It requires action on both sides. Discipline and God's discipline will be completely pointless if there's no repentance and change in our behavior. And so Daniel prays. And I think the way that he prays teaches us a lot about how we should pray to God when we go through personal or collective times of difficulty. So we're going to read the prayer section of Daniel 9 now. And as we go through, I want you to focus on three things. One, where Daniel places God in comparison to himself and his people. Two, the amount of times Daniel uses we compared to I. And three, how Daniel does not hide his desperation. So let's read. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commands, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The men of Judah and people of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. O Lord, we and our kings, our princes, our fathers are covered with shame because we have sinned against you. The Lord God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants and the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing us upon great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. Now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand, who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned and we have done wrong. O Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our fathers have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, our God, 
Hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, O Lord, look with favour on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, O God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, listen. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hear and act. For your sake, O my God, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. In all kinds of prayer, we should be putting God first. By lifting him high, we are humbling ourselves. And by humbling ourselves, we allow him to reach in to heal and forgive us. I love the focus that Daniel has all the way through this on God's mercy. How great his mercy makes him. And I love the line and the, the, in verse 18, where he says, Lord, we do not make requests because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. We are not asking this because we think any more of ourselves. We are asking this because of how great our merciful God is. We should never be smug or complacent because we have a God on our side. But we can be humbled by the fact that we have a relationship with a powerful being who will pour out his mercy if we come before him and confess. And it's also very clear to me, and I hope to you as well, that Daniel doesn't spend time blaming others, as I suggested he might well do. He's not hard on himself, and he doesn't have a go at God for the difficulties he's in. It's very clear that this is because of what God has done. But it's also very clear that this is because of the actions of him and his people. He understands, Daniel understands, that exile is a consequence of their actions. He is one of the people that caused them to be in exile. To start moaning and blaming would be to fall back into the same sin that caused God's wrath in the first place. My usual caveat here, when we try and apply this to, apply this to situation in our own lives, I'm definitely not saying that whenever we face hardship, it's because God is punishing us. Quite clearly, that's not the case. Might sometimes be. And I think, though, whether that's the case or not, it's important to use these moments, these hard times in our lives, as an encouragement to make sure that we seek what God wants us to focus on and what he wants us to learn. God can bring amazing things out of the darkest of places, whether he intended us to be there or not. And we also see in this prayer a third thing, that by rightfully elevating God, we can confess our sins and focus... Oh, do you know what? I've mucked that up. I'll start again. Rightfully elevating God and confessing our sins and focusing on the needs of others as well as ourselves can really help us start to work out what he wants to do. And now the third thing, just in case you're keeping count. Daniel doesn't hide his emotions either. Whilst he knows that he must not blame God, there is still, this is still a relationship where we can be honest with how, he's fe how we're feeling. See how he pleads. Oh Lord, listen. Oh Lord, forgive. Oh Lord, hear and act. We need your mercy. It's interesting, just as a slight aside, in uh, chapter 8, in fact the very first last verse before this, what we've read tonight, 
um, Daniel has a vision. And it's a crazy, crazy vision. And there's a goat with horns in the middle of its head and all sorts and means a whole load of things. But I love his response to this vision where he says, I lay ill for several days and then I got up and went about the king's business. I was appalled by the vision. It was beyond understanding. It made him ill. God's word made him ill. And he was honest about it and he spoke to God about it and God worked him through it. Daniel is desperate for God to bring his deliverance without delay. And Daniel might expect a simple answer from God. He might say, and we often do this when we pray, he might say, okay, God, this is what I want. And he says, God might say, well, yes, but not now. Or, okay, we'll do this. This is the plan. But instead, Daniel is shown something much, much bigger. That this is all a plan of God's mercy. Let's read the last verses of chapter 9. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, that's the one with the crazy goat story, um, the man I had seen in the earlier vision came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, an answer was given, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the message and understand the vision. Seventy sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to your sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know and understand this. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the sixty-two sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. The people of the ruler will come, who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of that seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. Always slightly curious what Daniel's initial response to this vision would be. Not quite what I was asking for, God. Uh, thanks, it's very impressive, but can I go home now? <laughs> but what he gives us is such an amazing vision of God's plan of mercy. And I don't want to go into too much here into the visions and the meaning of those visions of what he receives about the end times, but I do want to pick out a few key points that are relevant to what we're talking about this evening. First, is that the passage points out with impressive accuracy the coming of Christ as well as his crucifixion. Christ in here is the anointed one. Second, that after the anointed one is cut off, war and desolation will continue into the end. And this is the time that we're living in now. And finally, the abomination and desolation of these end times will cease. We won't be in this war and desolation time forever. 
they will continue only until the end that is decreed is poured out. Ultimately, God's mercy will prevail. So, whilst we do have a promise of return to God's restored kingdom, we, like Daniel, in these end times, will often find ourselves in places of exile, in places of war and desolation. Sometimes this will be a result of our own action. Sometimes it will be the result of others. And sometimes we will simply have no idea why we find ourselves in these places. And we could look at these prophecies of the end times and become fatalistic. We could just sit back and watch the world burn and suffer until we are rescued because we know we will be rescued. But as God's children, that is not what we are called to do. That defies the very point of God's mercy, of this two-ray relationship that we have. Daniel shows us time and time again that we act, if we act in faith, God will do amazing things. He will save us from burning flames. He will shut the mouth of lions. He will interpret bream, dreams. Breams might be different. You could interpret a bream. Nice and fishy story. But he will help us bring whole nations to see his glorious name if we act in faith. And we can do this, and we can help him by changing the way we respond to him. We can follow Daniel's example by being honest with God about our emotions, by confessing for ourselves and for those around us, and by always praising God, no matter where we are in our lives. So until last weekend, this is what I tried to do. I told God honestly that I was really struggling. I confessed to him that I have not been behaving as I should be behaving as a child of God that I continue to sin despite my best intentions. I realized also that I am not the only one going through what I've been experiencing. It affects others around me as well. And I tried as hard as possible to start every single conversation with God by rightfully praising him. And things changed. I felt much more capable to do my job and I had this reaffirmed at work. And I know this is all part of God's long-term plan, and I know that, and I feel that, and I know that he is in control. And we had the test back on our uh, expected child, and there was nothing wrong with it. And my virus and my pain slowly went away. This doesn't solve everything for me forever. It won't be the last time I'm ill. It won't be the last time I struggle with work. It won't, or it won't be the last time I don't know my purpose in life. Definitely won't be the last time that I'm terrified of something as I enter parenthood. Because of the sins of humankind, we live in a broken, painful world. Our job is to keep humbling ourselves before God and ask for his mercy. Not just for ourselves, but for all those around us. This may result in unrivaled joy and amazing experience with God, but at other times this will be a very heavy burden to bear. I keep saying it's okay to, do, to tell God that we're struggling with this. And even the Son of God was honest about the weight of his own burdens. As we read in our first reading, when Jesus prayed in Gethsemane, he was fully aware of the pain and the cost of what God was asking him to do. And he was honest about it. As we read in our New Testament reading, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. He prayed directly to his father. Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. 
He knew he had to do this. He knew he had to go through this to die for our sins. But he still came to God and told him how he was feeling. And he was fully aware of what he had to do. And even in this darkest hour, he understood and finished his prayer with yet not what I will, but but what you will. And this is the cost that Jesus bore for us. And as we come into the Advent season, it's a timely reminder to focus on the glory of this great gift and sacrifice. After all, we do have him with us as we try to be faithful like Daniel in these end times. So this is where last uh, week ago on Friday I finished the sermon. If you'll allow me, I'm just going to carry on because God has written an epilogue this week. Uh, and let's see if I can get through it. So later that same Friday, not very long after I finished writing this, Hannah went into hospital. It turned out that actually the Sunday before her waters had broken and they'd been broken for a week. And it put our baby at a huge risk of infection. They were going to try and hold it off to make sure that he could come because he was going to be six weeks early, I think, um, which was just a little bit too soon. Um, But on Saturday, nothing they did tried and the contraction started. She was taken from the hospital near our house to another one because they knew that because he was arriving so early, he was going to have to go straight into immediate neonatal care. The birth itself was as far as I understand, as normal and as crazy and as unique as, as most births are. But as it continued, it can put more and more stress on his little body. His heart rate was lowering as we got further and further into the final stages. Casper arrived in the afternoon, 4.33, with the help of some amazing doctors and midwives, and he was taken into a specialist care room. I was told to go with him as Hannah had to stay where she was. For two hours, he held my hand as he battled through his first moments in the outside world. It was frightening to watch him, gasping for air, not able to take any in because his lungs weren't just not ready. It was terrifying to hear his screams of pain due to the wounds on his head from his delivery. They had to pull him out in the end because of their worry on him. Later that evening, I then found myself back in my own personal exile. Except this time, it was my people I wanted returned home. I had to go home whilst he stayed in the hospital. And later, a few days later, Hannah joined me as Casper remained in neonatal care. I think as you can understand, it's been a long, tough emotional week. But this time, God had put the prayer of Daniel front and center into how I was supposed to approach this. And there's no point in me preaching a sermon if I can't then try and apply it at this point in my life. I knew that I had to take all that I was feeling straight to God. Hannah and I both spent a lot of our time asking God, why has this happened? Why have you done this to your creation? How is this part of your plan? But we also knew that we should praise him, that we should consider the we and not the I, that we should also continue to confess that we hated not being in control. 
This was our sin. We wanted to take back control. But God was saying, no, I am in control. On a couple of nights, I think it was two times, um, before Hannah came home, I just couldn't sleep. And I cried out to God again and again. But I cried out to him, telling him what an amazing creator, what a merciful God, what a loving father he is. Not going to lie, first few times of doing that just felt wrong, felt so forced. But the weird thing was, the more I did it, the more I meant it, the more it felt right and genuine. And I was able to worship more openly and honestly and wholeheartedly than I had for a very long time. And as I did that, I could focus on praying for all those who were affected by this, not just me, not just my family. There's so many people in that room going through the same thing. And I could also confess to God that I was not asking because of my righteousness, but because of his mercy. Earlier in the week, I think on Monday, uh, Hannah was still in the maternity ward, separate from uh, Casper. And she started reading some Bible devotionals, and this one was on Revelation 12. Revelation 12 itself is an absolutely bonkers chapter. Do go and read it if you want a good bedtime story. Um, But there was one particular section that stood out. Uh, There's a dragon, and the dragon will be mentioned in a moment. And it's all part of John's vision of the end times. But there was one bit that stood out to Hannah, and then when she told me, it stood out to me. In it, a woman gives birth to a son. As she is giving birth, There is a dragon representing the devil that is waiting to devour the newborn child. But just before he can snatch him, just before he can devour and destroy this child, God rescues him and takes him away so that this child can be safe in God's arms. And looking back, I can see clearly that God has taken Casper firmly into his safe embrace. Whilst there weren't angels, all the doctors, nurses, midwives and staff have worked miracles through the week. And in coming to God with my honest prayer, he then showed me that he was in control. And that whatever happened, even if Casper didn't make it through, God was with him and Casper was in his arms. And that Casper was rescued by God's great and unfathomable plan of mercy. Whilst I was in hospital, whilst Cass was in hospital, I wasn't in hospital, I was at home, I was fine. Whilst he was in hospital, even though every fibre of my being ached for Casper to come home so that he can be with his family, I knew now more than ever that he is and would always be safe in the Father's arms. And for that reason, I can continue to approach my God in earnest prayer and praise. And we can be assured that our great and glorious God, in his wondrous mercy, hears our cries. This morning, a miracle happened. Much earlier than we were expecting, Casper came home. And that is one of the many reasons why, no matter the circumstances, we should always humbly bow before our merciful God in confession, in petition, and adoration. Amen. Andy, would you lead us in prayer?